participation. All right, it's time for us to get started tonight, please. If uh, you are here tonight and you did not have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, if you want to be served, please make your way back right now to the little chapel and uh, they'll take care of you right now. Peter said to them, to them, to them, Peter said 
does that mean about you? I'm special. I'm special. And tomorrow y'all are so excited about going to school. No. My song leader tonight that was going to lead is not here. Who wants to lead, do it next time that hadn't done it in a while? You want to do it? You're up. Okay. Next. No, no. Next Sunday. All right. I won't put you on the spot now. Okay. But next Sunday you can think about it. Okay. And do what you want to do. All right. We are thankful to have everybody here tonight. We had a lot of visitors today and we still have uh, several that are here tonight. And we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being here uh, it is a joy and honor to be able to welcome you, and we hope that you'll want to come back and be with us anytime you have an opportunity. Just a few updates I want to make tonight. The Golden Circle are going to have lunch at the Outpost. And we're also going to be touring the Tennessee River Museum this coming Thursday. The bus will leave at 9 o'clock. Kind of a busy week, I guess, for Golden Circle. Tomorrow we're going to eat breakfast at the pit stop. The bus will leave the annex at 830 and uh, we'd love you to come and be a part of that. Ladies, I want to remind you of your ornament exchange next Sunday, December the 3rd, at the Elliott Home following our evening classes. Uh, all the ladies are invited. It says, please bring an ornament uh, to exchange and your favorite holiday finger food. And uh, the bus will also go and take whoever needs a ride. I also want to remind those that want to honor a loved one uh, during the holidays by making a contribution to one of our ministries, that there are forms that are available out in the foyer, and uh, those, if possible, need to be turned in by this coming Sunday, December the 3rd. That's all the announcements that I have tonight. Uh, will you please bow with me in prayer? Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we are truly, truly thankful for all that you've done for us, for the many blessings that you give us physically, materially, but most of all, Father, we're mindful of those spiritual blessings that are ours through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, at this time, we are indeed thankful for this congregation. We're thankful for the opportunity and the privilege to be a part of God's family here at this place, and we pray that you would bless each member. We pray that you would be with our elders who love and care for each of us and we pray that you would grant them wisdom as they endeavor to lead us as sheep in the way that we need to go. Father, we ask your blessings upon so many that we know that are sick right now. There are many in hospitals. We pray for those that are tending to their needs. We also, again, Father, ask that you comfort and strengthen those who are grieving over the loss of loved ones. Father, as we go to our Bible classes tonight, we pray that 
We'll open up our hearts and minds to your word and try to make application so that what we learn can make a difference in our lives. And Father, most of all, we're thankful for your son, Jesus, who gave his life on the cross for our sins. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to sing Jesus Loves the Little Children. You want to do a song? Well, if you're ready, buddy, I'm not going to stop you. While the teachers go to class, I'll sing There's a Fountain Free. There's a fountain free just for you and me. started firing and getting back on track so that was really good it's great to see you I hope you had a really good day today and we're going to have a Bible study together this class is actually looking at the major prophets so if that does not entice you and wet your whistle then uh, there are a couple of other classes available and I would encourage you to check the bulletin a lot of, lot of good choices on both Sundays and Wednesdays. Okay, so I have these sick folks and prayer interests. And if you have some updates about them 
or you would like to add someone at the end, we will do that. Irene Baker is Melinda Hester's mother. She has terminal cancer. Austin Wentz is the gardener's grandson. He's undergoing treatment. Wade Davis has been missing since June the 22nd, a year ago. Bobby Petty is Joe Garrett's friend. He has lung cancer. Uh, Lex Crossan was here this morning. Did you see him? He was sitting back there. So we're, we're glad that he's doing some better. Uh, Marty Woodruff has cancer. He's in a declining phase. His wife, Donna, has had treatment, and she has actually um, at least temporarily quit work in order to care for him. Eli Johnson has cancer undergoing treatments. Anne Langford is Lisa Peake's friend. She's doing much better, but still requests our prayers. Emma Hutton has cancer. Sharon Strickland, Grayson Miller all have cancer. Linda Garrett's undergoing follow-up treatments. How much longer do we have to go, Linda? Through all of January or until January? Middle of January. Okay. Wait, what? <laughs> Hooray! Did you hear that? Because it's like I'm dreaming. She got what they are referring to as a pristine report. She is clear of cancer. Linda, that, yay! That is so great. Glad. Thank you for that news. Barbara Foster has breast cancer. Uh, remember the Woodrows, they're dealing with some problems. Larry Muse is a friend of Gary, uh, Joe Garrett's. He has cancer. Lennox Kenimer and Micah McBrayer, both children, they have cancer. Sybil Tollison has Alzheimer's. That's the Ligon's neighbor. Jeremy Owens, still recovering. Loxley Eaton has cancer. Joanne Roberts, she's got neuropathy in her hands and feet. Both, do both of them have COVID? Uh, they've, they've been sick with COVID, so. Just him? Okay. All right. Eddie Kraft is undergoing treatments for cancer. Treva Brown's brother Michael is taking some rehab treatments. Jayla Ross is at Shepherd's Clinic in Atlanta making some progress. Sadie Downs is battling stomach cancer. Susan Wood uh, has breast cancer. Johnny Derrick has lung cancer. Monique Brown has breast cancer. Billy Martin's friend, Christy Nash, uh, is not long for the earth. Norma Hemwell's not well, but Joan's caring for her. Joan, you good on your foot now? She's good. Did you get a pristine report too? Okay. <laughs> Doctor said, be careful. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. Uh, Joey Jameson, still, still kind of down. He's recovering very slowly. Rhonda Lansdale is a friend of Miss Barnett's. She has breast cancer. Dennis Brown had a lung transplant and some additional surgery. Understand he's probably going to be in the hospital through Christmas. Reba Hughes is recovering slowly. Terry Ross needs a liver transplant. 
Is Sue here today? Is Sue okay? Sue really just one sickness after the other. Uh, Sean Crom needs a liver and kidney transplant. Junior Wilson has pancreatic cancer. Allie Johnson undergoing chemo. Jonathan Bishop has cancer. Flora Warner is doing okay. Pat Hall has cancer. Derek Timms recovering from a back injury. Oh. So, well... Okay, we're going to pray, thank you, God, and then we'll take them off this list. It's too long anyway, isn't it? Mike Johnson has cancer, uh, had surgery on the 23rd, recovering. Jerry Ryan, close friend of Mickey Scott's in last stages of cancer. Ken Wade has a lot of health problems, that's Tom's uncle. Mary King has lots of health problems, friend of Lisa Peake's. Uh, she's dealing with blood clots right now. Brad Sloan has MS. Nathan Cox has serious health problems. Wendy Long's mother, Mary Sullivan, recovering from heart surgery. John Roten's at Landmark for rehab. He's having a lot of balance problems. Brian Rowland's having some issues with his foot again. He said today, it's not any worse, it's not any better. So we just pray he'll, he'll get past all that. Uh, Kim Mormon uh, had a, a brain bleed. She was in the intensive care a week ago, but she's gone home and doing great. So we're thankful for that. Uh, Ricky Neves has mouth cancer. Dell's sister Jackie fell. She broke her hip, had to have surgery. She's been in rehab at Landmark, wasn't feeling well. They took her to the ER. Now they're treating her for sepsis. A friend of ours, friends of ours, Ralph and Glenda Jennings, they have a grandson, Will, who is going to be having a kidney transplant on December the 29th. His father is going to be the donor for that. And he has just had a lifetime of surgeries, transplants, and all manner of issues. But despite all that, uh, he is trying to make the best of it. And uh, so far as his academics are concerned, you know, he's, he's doing well, but we just pray that he will have good success with his surgery. Jim Thomason's recovering from heart attack, very serious. Wanda Devon, who's Mickey Scott's sister, has stroke, is on hospice. So she and the other sisters are caring for her. Ray Miller is having surgery on Tuesday. He has a vertebrae, vertebrae pressing on his sciatic nerve. Any of y'all ever had that? That is painful and unrelenting. Kathy Johnson, who is Carolyn's niece, she lives in Tishomingo. She has breast cancer. She would request your prayers. And this last interesting name right here, Tracy Cole Forrest. That is my new grandson. So my son Drew now has a son. And you are probably going to see Tracy and his mother. Anita and Ruth are down there in Fairhope now at the hospital. Baby's doing well and all. But Amanda doesn't have family. And she doesn't have anybody. And so 
they're going to come stay with us for a couple of months. Is that okay with you? Okay. Uh, but he's a cute little thing. Um, I'll just... Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, in some ways, I'm sure that's true. Uh, but I, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to lay this out there. The, the circumstances, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to have another grandchild. You know that. And I love babies, especially when they're mine. I love my son, Drew, more than I could say. I love Amanda. But both Drew and Amanda, they've got lots of issues. Some of you are privy to that information, and you know that it's not a new struggle. It's a long-term struggle. But despite that, we are not throwing them overboard. And they've made lots of mistakes, many of which affect our whole family. So we're not dragging you into that, certainly, but... If they come, I just love them, okay? Because our ultimate goal is to see Drew go to heaven and Amanda to go to heaven and little Tracy. So there you go. There's my catharsis, and we'll pray for them, okay, and for all these others. Do you have anybody else you would like? Yes, Okay. And that is, she failed, she broke her arm. Now she's in the take care of her in her home for four hours, seven days. And she is just really in the face. We're about to. All right. Yes. <laughs> Your jaw's broken. <laughs> no, it's not. Bless your heart. Okay, we want to remember May Dean. I want to say that you had a skydiving accident or something like that, but let's just stick with that, okay? Make it kind of glamorous and exciting, but uh, May Dean is in recovery. Yes.
right. All right, let's pray for these folks and then we'll begin our study together. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for a really great day today. Thank you for our health and strength. I know there are people that are in here who are ailing. Some of them are on this list right here. But Lord, we're praying for their complete healing and restoration of their health so that they can be past these difficulties and thriving in your kingdom. Uh, these limitations just get in the way of the things we really want to do, aspire to do to your glory. We pray for those folks that are sick, that are friends and family, and we're praying for their deliverance if, you're, if it's your will, but certainly we pray for their comfort and strengthening. Bless Irene Baker that she will have good days with her family. Bless Austin Wentz as he undergoes long treatments. Pray for the Davis family, especially Sue and Wade's disappearance. Bless Bobby Petty, who has lung cancer. Be with uh, the Crossons, and it was great to have Lex here today. We pray that that's an indication that they're getting well, and we pray that they can be back here regularly. Bless the Woodruffs as Marty's health is very much declining. We pray for his wife as she attends to him. Bless Eli Johnson, who's undergoing treatments. We pray for Ann Langford, who's doing well. And we pray that will continue. Be with Emma Hutton, who has cancer. Sharon Strickland has cancer. And Grayson Miller. Lord, we just rejoice with Linda that she got such a great report recently. We pray that that will always be true. And bless her as she is finishing up her infusion treatments. Pray that all that's just going to go smoothly and quickly, and all of this will be a thing of the past very soon. Pray for Barbara Foster as breast cancer. Bless the Woodrows as they deal with so many issues. We pray for Larry Muse who has cancer, for Lennox and Micah and their families as they seek treatments for cancer. Pray for the Tollisons as Sybil has Alzheimer's. Bless Jeremy Owens with better health. Bless Luxley Eaton, who's taken treatments for cancer. We pray for Joanne Roberts, and we pray for Ben, who's been really sick. Bless Eddie Kraft, who has liver cancer. Bless Treva Brown's brother Michael in his rehabilitation. Bless Jayla Ross in hers. We pray that she'll make progress and soon, relatively, be able to go home and do well. Bless Sadie Downs who has stomach cancer, Susan Wood, who has breast cancer, bless Johnny Derrick, who has cancer, Monique Brown, who has cancer. Pray for Christy Nash, that she'll have good days. Bless Norma Hemwell, that she'll have good days, and Joan, as she tends to her. Pray for Joy Jameson, that his days will get better, and he'll get stronger and uh, more capable. Bless Rhonda Lansdale, who has cancer, Bless Dennis Brown and his family as he has long stay at the hospital. Pray for Reba Hughes and her quick return. Bless Terry Ross and Sean Crum who are both in need of transplants and be with Sue who's not feeling well tonight. Pray for Junior Wilson who has cancer, Allie Johnson undergoing treatments. For Jonathan Bishop who has cancer, we pray your blessings on 
Sister Flora Warner, that she'll have good days and blessings on Rick as he tends to her. Bless Pat Hall, who has cancer. Derek Timms, who injured himself in an accident, but is well on his way to full recovery. And we're just rejoicing that too. Bless Mike Johnson and his recovery and health. Pray for Jerry Ryan, uh, who's very ill. Bless Ken Wade, who's ill. For Mary King, we pray that uh, the situation with the blood clots can be resolved. For Brad Sloan, we pray treatments for his MS. Bless Nathan Cox, who has health problems. Mary Sullivan in her recovery. John Roten in his rehab. Bless Brian Rowland, Lord, that his foot will heal and not be the nuisance that it has been for so long. We pray for uh, Kim Mormon as she has recovered, but we just pray that whatever contributed to this problem is truly healed and she can prosper. Bless Ricky Neves, who has cancer. For Jackie Lambert, who is receiving treatment for sepsis. We pray for Ralph and Glenda Jennings' grandson, Will, as he's to have a kidney transplant soon. Bless Jim Thomason with a full recovery. Bless Wanda Devon, but especially Mickey and the other sisters as they are trying to care for her. We pray for Ray Miller that his surgery will be a success and relieve his symptoms. Bless Kathy Johnson who has breast cancer. We pray for uh, Tracy and for Amanda as they're recovering in the hospital. And, uh, Lord, we just pray a resolution to so many issues with them and with Drew. We pray for Pat, who's not well, and some other issues with sons and, and otherwise. We just pray that she'll get the care that she needs and recover from her broken bones and what has developed with her walking. Uh, please restore her health. We pray your blessings on Maydeen as she recovers from her broken arm and pray that she'll have no uh, deficits as a result of that healing. We pray for Jamie who's in the hospital with this infection, and it seems, it seems horrible, but we pray that he'll get the right kind of antibiotics and treatment that will restore healing and just help him not only to heal physically, but the emotional setback that uh, such a condition presents. We also pray for Terry Arbra, who's in the Tupelo Hospital in the ICU. Lord, uh, Pray that you'll bless us tonight as we're studying your word together. Pray that you'll help us to equip ourselves in our study of your word so that we'll be better suited to working in your kingdom. And thank you for the blessing that that is all by itself. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're in the major prophets. We're going to look at Isaiah, Jeremiah. Of course, Jeremiah also wrote Lamentation, so we're going to take a look at that. And then Ezekiel and Daniel. These are, these are big books. I don't know if you've taken the time to look over them, but they're pretty big. So you may be thinking, oh man, that's a lot of reading. Hey, so what? Right? We're reading God's word here. Ken, how long is it going to take me to read Isaiah? Isaiah's got six, six chapters in it. And 
That just sounds like a lot. Well, it's going to take you about three hours, 45 minutes to read. If you read at a, an easy pace, that's between 100 and 200 words a minute. So if you can handle that. Now, I was thinking, you know, not many of us have three, nearly four hours to sit down and read something. So I'm just not going to do it. Wait, stop. Okay, so you know what? If you just read an hour out of Isaiah a day between now and next Sunday, and even if you skipped a day in between, you'd have enough time to read through that entire book. Have you ever read through Isaiah? I mean, very few people have. A lot, a lot of people read some of the beautiful classic texts out of it, and you'll hear them referenced a lot. But very few people have actually read all the way through it with any degree of understanding. So what I'm going to try to do is develop a degree of understanding about the book itself so that when you read it, it'll make, it'll make good sense to you, or at least you'll be able to put some things together for yourself as you're reading only a little over three hours. Well, a little less than four hours. I'll, I'll put it that way. Okay. So in this class, our procedure is going to go something like this, Lord willing. We will have a class of introduction to a book, which is what this is going to be. And then the next Sunday, we're going to look at some major texts that come out of the book. We can't, clearly we can't go uh, verse by verse in the class with the limitation of time that we have, but we can look at some classic texts and be able to discuss those. Some of those you're going to recognize pretty immediately, like Isaiah 7:14. In fact, we'll be mentioning it here in a little bit, but that's going to be the procedure. We'll have an introduction give you a chance to read it through the week, and then we will look at some classic texts. And as you're reading it, I, I would do this if I were you. I would be just jotting down some of those texts that I run across that are familiar to me and just, you know, mark them in your Bible or keep them in a notebook for future reference. And maybe there'll be some of those texts that we're looking at. If ever there were an Old Testament book that was quote-unquote controversial, it would be the book of Isaiah. Any idea why that would be true? What is it that Isaiah majors in? <laughs> That's exactly right. Are you like, you those kids, you, you, you've had, got turkey on the brain now. You can't be. Isaiah talks a lot about the Messiah. Pardon? About the coming of the Christ. Talk about the Messiah. So as a result, well, talking about prophecies concerning Jesus, Isaiah is writing 700 years before Jesus ever comes on the scene. So there are a lot of things bound up in that. The idea of the inspiration of scriptures, of God speaking, of the anticipation of the Christ, who is the Christ, all of, all of that liberal attack machine that comes to the Bible oftentimes lands right here in the book of Isaiah. There's an interesting thing that happened in the 1950s. Any of you around then? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand. But back in the 1950s, actually, it was either 51 or 52, the RSV translation came out. Do you remember that translation? 
In fact, when I was a little kid, I still heard the repercussions of that heretical translation of the Bible. Actually, the RSV developed as kind of a revision of the heralded ASV. Now, for many years, when people would talk about a literal, exact translation of the Bible, guess what translation they would mention? The American Standard Version. I don't know if you've ever actually read out of the American Standard Version, but it's kind of a complicated read because it does almost exactly translate words as they are found in the text. And oftentimes it translates them as they're placed in the text. So words kind of get out of order and sometimes it's just hard to understand. Not to mention the fact that it also incorporates a lot of the old English words like thee and thou and you understand. So it was a complicated, difficult translation to use, although very technically correct. So the RSV attempted to Okay, I don't want to say they attempted to dumb it down, but they tried to make it more accessible to people. In a similar vein to the New King James translation as compared to the King James translation. You know what I'm saying? King James, it's considered to be on a 12th grade reading level. You say, well, I graduated high school and went on to college, so that's not, okay, peace. But the idea here is that that's kind of a, a challenge to read sometimes. So the new King James uses more modern kind of language. Instead of a thee and a thou, it would be a you, a him, so forth. You, you understand because you're familiar with, with the text. So the RSV was supposed to be like that to the ASV. Help, it bring, help bring it down so that people could better understand it. Well, people started using it, right? They're reading through it, reading through it, reading through it. Fine, fine. This is great. Yeah, love it. Whoa, stop. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 became a text of contention. Now, before we look at that, I want to also share this with you. Okay, so 1951-52 when the RSV comes out. It comes after a major discovery that was made in 1947. Anybody remember what happened then? The Dead Sea Scrolls, the Qumran texts. They stumbled upon these old scrolls that had been hidden in these caves for millennia. So now that they've been uncovered, researchers start looking through these scrolls and they're amazed. They're finding scrolls or handwritten texts that are actually much older than texts that had been being used for translation purposes. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Don't we have the original scroll? Don't we have the original stone tablets that Moses wrote on and so forth? Uh, no. You know what a scribe was? A scribe took a document and he copied it word for word, letter for letter, tit for tat. So as a scroll, which is made out of materials that very easily disintegrate, begins to disintegrate, guess what you do? You have a scribe copy it over. So you don't have any original, like 
Where's the scrap of paper that Paul actually wrote on? We, we don't have that. We have the copies of the copies of the copies of the copies. You say, well, there's all kind of error that can take place. Um, not wholesale error, but there can be forgetting to cross or put a dot or maybe some dirt gets on something or something smudges or whatever. Uh, that kind of thing can happen. So it was very exciting. Instead of having all these fragments of these documents that have been handed down from generation to generation and are disintegrating, they have found a cave with all of these preserved manuscripts. And among them was one of the golden prizes of the ages. It was an entire and complete manuscript of the book of Isaiah all 66 chapters that was 200 years BC. That's 200 years before Christ, having been, been cared for in these really almost like a time capsule environment, practically in a vault or you know, in a vacuum where they have not deteriorated all these years. A 200 100 BC year old document intact. And so you're wondering, boy, I wonder how much changed from when that particular scroll was written until the time when the, all they had were fragments that they put together. Well, nothing. <laughs> actually, what it, actually, what it did do was verify that all this handing down from generation to generation was an exact science. There wasn't anything lost or anything gained. It was exactly what people expected that it was going to be. So what did the RSV editors decide to do when they had this outstanding document at their disposal? The RSV is noted as special because what they did was, for the very first time ever, was incorporate one of those Dead Sea Scrolls, the scroll of Isaiah, into their text itself. So when all this translating is being done, just as translations had always been prepared, they come to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And here's what happened. Here's the translation from the RSV. It's rendered this way. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a young woman shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What's the problem with that translation? Yes, a young woman, a young woman. Now, here's something of interest. This is, this is actually the New King James translation of this text. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel. So let's look at this word virgin here. It comes from the word Alma. Right here under this are lots of different ways that word can be translated and still fit within the connotation of the word. Not just the denotation. A denotation is an exact definition. A connotation is the meaning that is derived within a context. Connotation within the context. So here are several ways to translate that word. Damsel, maid, virgin. Um, in, the authorized version, uh, in the authorized version, which is the 
original text that the King James translation is developed out of are these words. Number one translation is virgin. It can also mean a maid, which is a what? A young woman. Okay. So I only make that point in order to say this. How do you determine which translation is the correct translation? Virgin, which means a woman who's never known a man or a young woman who could or could not have known a man. How do you know which one? C-O-N-T-E-X-T. Context, yes? Okay, here's the interesting thing about Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. In chapter 7, and, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later. In chapter 7, Isaiah introduces one of his sons. That son is Shear Jashub. He introduces that son because of the meaning of his name. And then that's supposed to tell something about a prophecy in, in, in that setting to that time. Uh, the meaning of his name was a remnant shall return. That was God's message using Isaiah's son basically as a prop. In chapter 8, Maher Shalal Hashbaz, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Is the second son who is brought as a prop in order to make a similar kind of declaration. What does his name mean? Well, his name means the spoil spreads, the prey hastens. In Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 18, this text, Isaiah speaking, Isaiah even includes himself in this declaration. He says, here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me, these two boys. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. What's interesting about that is that these guys were supposed to be the props, right? Okay, so there's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 that talks about a either young woman or virgin who is going to give birth. We use virgin because the context we typically use it in is not this context. The context we typically use it in is in what context? Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, right? where we have the prophecy that Jesus actually is the son that is born of a literal, actual virgin who has been made pregnant by none other than the Holy Spirit. Okay, in that context, we know exactly what's being talked about. In this context, the question is, who, who is the young woman? Look at chapter eight. Moreover, the Lord said to me, take a large scroll, write on it with the man's pen concerning this son. And I will take for myself faithful witness to record Uriah the priest, Zechariah the son of uh, Jeberechiah. Then I went to the prophetess. Who's the prophetess? That's Isaiah's wife. Isaiah's wife, we don't learn anywhere, is actually a prophet. But because she's, um, because she's married to a prophet, guess what she is referred to as? A prophetess, the prophet's wife. Um, she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Okay. In chapter seven, following chapter 14 is an indication of what was going to happen after the child was born of the quote unquote virgin or young woman. 
Now in chapter eight, we have Mahal for short, born, who is born of the prophetess, who becomes in the image, the woman of chapter seven, verse 14, the young woman of chapter seven, verse 14, and fulfills a prophecy similar to what was stated back in chapter seven. When people read, when the Jews read through the book of Isaiah, and they read about the virgin that was going to give, or the young woman, however context interprets it, who was going to give birth to the son. And then they come to chapter eight with Mahal being referred to as the son born of the prophetess who has a fulfilled destiny, which is connected to what was found in verse seven. Who did they conclude was being talked about? They didn't, they didn't think, they didn't think, oh, this must be a messianic prophecy. Now they're thinking this is a fulfillment of what was found in chapter seven. What's introduced here is something that happens a lot of times, and that is a dual prophecy. There is a fulfillment of a prophecy in that time, which God uses his son as kind of like a a template and says, here's what's going to happen in relation to that. But also, according to Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, also extends itself to where? To Jesus. And now instead of that word being young woman, the interpretation of that word is what? Virgin. Does that make sense? There, are, there is one prophecy made with two fulfillments. That happens a lot in Scripture. Most of the time it happens when, say, they talk about a coming disaster. And then there will actually be a disaster. But that disaster foretells another disaster that is coming, uh, usually in reference to the vengeance of God, an ultimate, an ultimate calamity. Why did you say all that? Well, because there was this brouhaha about the translation of Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. And the answer to that is, well, it depends. Within what context are we speaking about this text? Because the translators were just doing what? They're just coming along translating words. We look at the context here. Here's what that seems to mean. Because within that context, if it were translated virgin, then it really makes no sense in application to that moment. However, when it's translated virgin over in Matthew chapter one, guess what it does now? It sets up a prophecy that was made, not just in the immediate fulfillment within the time of Isaiah and his own family, but also a fulfillment that is identified in Matthew chapter one, 700 years later. I just find that kind of stuff to be pretty fascinating. Don't you find it to be fascinating? Nod your head this way. (laughs) Do what? Yes, ultimately. And that's that's another, that, thank you, Luther. Because when you carry, when you carry prophecies back like that, it is almost like, Thank you, because I've never really thought about it this way before, but it's like God, metaphorically, taking a stone 
and skipping it across the water. And that every time that stone hits the water is another indicator of the fulfillment of the promise that he makes from the very beginning. Prophecy, prophecy, prophecy in its fulfillment. And the other thing about that is, especially next week, we look at some texts. You're going to find that these things don't stand alone. It's not like there's a, in our mind, when we read something, we want just a declaration, just a truth. What you're going to find, especially with these prophets, is that, yeah, there is a truth here. But this truth isn't stagnant right here. This truth is a little morsel of a much bigger thing that is happening. And how that thing unfolds through history is just, to me, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, Isaiah has a lot of reach. Uh, Isaiah apparently was related to the king. And as that, he had a lot of contact. There's, there are connections between like Isaiah and Micah. Isaiah, much bigger book than Micah because, well, he's going to deal with two different periods of time. I mentioned to you that there are 66 chapters here. There are also 66 something related to the Bible. What is that? There's 66 books. In the Old Testament, there are 39. In the New Testament, there are 27. Okay? In Isaiah, from chapter 1 through chapter 39, you're talking about the Assyrian period. That is the period in which Isaiah lived. From 40 to the end of the book, chapter 66, describes events that take place 150 years later, way beyond the life of Isaiah. It describes the Babylonian period, a group of people that weren't even being talked about during the time of Isaiah. In fact, Isaiah goes so far as not only to mention the Babylonians, but by name, Cyrus, who is going to be the deliverer of the children of Israel out of their Babylonian captivity. Someone says, how can that be? Oh, there must have been two writers. There must have been one who lived in the Assyrian period and one who lived in the Babylonian period. Not according to chapter one, verse one, that says that Isaiah was the one who wrote this book. 17 different times, 12 in the first half, 13 in the second half, Isaiah is mentioned as the one who's doing the writing. Someone says, well, maybe actually Isaiah didn't live during that period. Maybe somebody posing as Isaiah living during the Babylonian captivity and is writing about what happened in history in the Assyrian and in the Babylon. Stop. What is one thing we know about prophecy? First of all, it comes from, comes from God. How could Isaiah write? And, and here's something interesting about Isaiah. Typically, when you look at prophecies, they talk about what is going to be. When Isaiah is writing about it, he is writing about it as though he is experiencing it. How can someone do that? What empowered him to do it? God did. God did. That's, to me, uh, one of the most remarkable things about prophecy. Well, we've run out of time, apparently, those kids. So let's have a prayer and then uh, we'll be dismissed. And do your reading this week. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for our time. Thank you for your word and amazing things that we find there. And just build our faith with it. 
help us, Lord, this week to commit ourselves to reading this fantastic book of Scripture and help us to appreciate uh, what it has taken to make it available to us in our own time. Uh, Lord, bless us as we leave this place. Keep us safe. And if it's your will, give us a new day that we can exercise our faith in extraordinary ways. In Jesus' name, amen.